You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. And so what did he do? Well, he shook his head, he cleared the fog, and said, and reminded himself, I am a man who is anointed of God, called by God to be Israel's next king. I have a high calling, a promise from God that he hasn't taken away. I want you to you know, insert your name here for David. You know, even as God has a high calling for each and every one of you, has a very specific plan and purpose for your life. Don't forget who you are in Christ. In today's message from Pastor Mike, he explains to you that sometimes you are going to have to remind yourself of who you are. The enemy is always coming with condemnation, doubt, and shame. However, Pastor Mike encourages you to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Look to God's Word and remember all of the good things He has in store for you. Circle the promises He has made to you and remember you're His. You are a treasured and beloved child of the Most High God. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 29 as he continues his message, God proves himself faithful. I say on the Lord. So the 27th Psalm in verse uh, 14. Now, what does all of this look like? You know, strengthening ourselves in the Lord, waiting on the Lord. What does that suggest to us? What does that look like? Well, David simply reassured himself of the Lord's plans for his future. And what were those plans? What, what, uh, What did those plans entail for David? God wasn't finished with David. David was going to be the next king of Israel. And so David reminded himself of that and reassured. Listen, David is at a low point in his life. I mean, think about it. He has nowhere to turn. He has nowhere to run. Saul's still looking to kill him, right? He's been dismissed by uh, the Israelites. He's been now dismissed by the Philistines. He's got nowhere to go, nowhere to run to. He's at the lowest of low points in his life's Uh, experience, right? And so David reassures himself of the Lord's plan for his future. This is not the end. In fact, it was actually the beginning for David. Inwardly, he comforted himself, and thus he was able to commit the whole matter to the Lord. Let me give you another couple of cross-references from the book of Psalms. In chapter 18, verses 2 and 3, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, 
my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You know, remind yourself of those things. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Be sure of that. Let me give you another cross-reference from the book of Psalms. In the 55th Psalm, in verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. And I might add that you are the righteous now, not because of you, that you are righteous, but God sees us as righteous because you're in His Son, Jesus Christ. His righteousness has been placed over onto uh, you. You know, in one of the other commentaries uh, addressing this particular uh, subject as it relates to the exercise of strengthening ourselves in the Lord, he said that this wasn't some kind of rah-rah cheerleading, you know, kind of a, a thing. It wasn't that at all. You know, kind of positive thinking, some mumbo-jumbo. This was the strength of the living God making itself real in the life and heart of a hurting man. This was strength for recognition and brokenness and repentance, a determination to win back what the enemy has stolen. And this strength was there for David all of the time. But now he takes it for himself. David knew he was weak. He knew that he was broken. He knew that he hit rock bottom. And so what did he do? Well, he shook his head, he cleared the fog, and said, and reminded himself, I am a man who is anointed of God, called by God to be Israel's next king. I have a high calling, a promise from God that he hasn't taken away. I want you to you know, insert your name here for David. You know, even as God has a high calling for each and every one of you, has a very specific plan and purpose for your life. And David reminded himself of these things. I need to start living according to that destiny. And so listen, when you hit bottom, rock bottom, when you are at the low point in your life, remember these things. You know what this reminds me of? The prodigal son, who one day, after squandering his father's uh, inheritance, he wakes up, face down in a pigsty, and all of a sudden comes to his senses. And he begins to speak to himself. And he encourages himself in the Lord. You know, C.H. Spurgeon, another one of my favorite authors and teachers, said concerning this, some of the best talks in the world are those which a man or a woman has with themselves. He who speaks to everybody except himself is a great fool. And so anyway, that's exactly what David is doing here. And that's what strengthening ourselves in the Lord looks like and what it entails. And listen, all of the while, I would also remind you that God was waiting for David to do exactly that, even as God was waiting for the prodigal son to turn back to the father. God is waiting. What's it going to take until we come to our senses and turn to him? And so David turned back unto God, and literally fastened himself to him. And that's exactly what we need to do. We need to fasten ourselves unto God. Now, by not giving in to his feelings, his emotions, his fears, David was able to make good choices. All right, let's go back to our text, chapter 30, verses 7 and 8. And I want you to notice the progression here. 
Then David uh, said to Abathar, the high priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. And remember, it was contained within the high priest's ephod where the Urim and Thummim was, where the, uh, David was to ascertain the will of God. So the first step that David took was to seek God's will in prayer. And that's always our first step in strengthening ourselves in the Lord. Take it to prayer. Make your appeal unto uh, the Lord. And so we have a great example of this here in verse 7. And then in verse 8, So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Notice again, he's praying. Uh, Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fear recover all. And so David went, he and his 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, which those stayed who were left behind. So after God given him the green light, notice, he acts upon the will of God, what God had told him to do. Now this is very, very important. You know, how many times we pray unto the Lord and God gives us the directions, he gives us the blueprint, he gives us the ABCs, he, 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 he gives us the steps that we are to take, but we do nothing. You know, we're just stuck in neutral. Well, that wasn't the case here with uh, David, right? So upon reaching Besor, which was 15 miles south of the city of Ziglag, one-third of David's men, that would have been 200, were too exhausted to go any further to pursue these Amalekites who had ransacked Ziglag. The remaining 400 discarded anything that might impede their progress, leaving their belongings in the care of those who remained behind, and they set out once more to track down these Amalekites. Now, in verses 11 through 15, we are told, we will discover that God provides a guide for David and his men. Are you still keeping track? Okay, all right, very good, Regina, okay. Remember, a pop quiz at the end of this lesson. Okay, so let's pick up now in verses 11 through 15. Remember, we're trying to retrace these steps of David and how God was faithful uh, to him. Okay, verse 11 through 15. And they found an Egyptian. Okay, so they're trying to track down these Amalekites, and as they were on their way, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they find this Egyptian, verse 11, in the field and brought him to David. And they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. So this fellow is half dead. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs, and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, Whom do you belong? So he's questioning now, who, you know, who are you? And whom do you belong? And where are you from? And he said, Now listen, if this isn't in the sovereignty of God, I don't know what is. I am a young man from Egypt, a servant of the Amalekites. So he had been a part of that raiding party that came and and devastated the city of Ziggalat. He was was part of that group. And my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belonged to Judah and the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag with fire." 
And David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? In other words, to track down the Amalekites. So they're trying to enlist him as their guide. So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master. And I will take you down to this troop. Okay, so God provides a guide for David and his men. And so this Egyptian guides them to the camp of the Amalekites. And as they are found, we discover that they are in a very festive uh, mood. And also they are liquored up. In verse 16, you know, they're just celebrating what they had just accomplished uh, in them uh, ransacking the city of uh, Ziglag. And so in verse 16, and we, when we had brought him down, there they were, the Amalekites, spread out over all the land. They were eating and drinking and dancing. They're celebrating because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And thus David and his men launched their attack at twilight. These guys are hungover because they're all liquored up, so it was perfect timing, right? And battled on until the evening of the next day. Notice there, according to verse 7, that David attacked them from twilight. Uh, that's kind of a misleading interpretation of the word. A, a better translation would have been uh, from dawn until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and then they fled. So David completely routed their enemy, the Amalekites, and they were able to recover all that had been taken from them. Verses 18 and 19, let's go on. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking. Are you keeping count? Okay. Uh, neither small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything, which they had taken from them, that is what the Amalekites had taken from them, and David had recovered all. And as David led this enlarged group, this tired but happy group, they drove before them the sheep and cattle. The Amalekites had stolen, uh, stolen from the villages of that area, surveying the numerous sheep and cattle one of David's men said, and it's recorded for us in verse 20, this is David's spoil. Now this is sort of an, an interesting announcement here because in this expression, with its, it has kingly overtones that are a part of it. It was quickly picked up by the others and some may have thought uh, that this was presumptuous to use such an expression before David was actually crowned as the next king of Israel. But you know, in this saying, it just goes to show us the high esteem in which David was held. You see, by this time of the record of what we are reading about this morning, Saul and his sons had already perished, had already been killed in battle. But you see, David didn't know that, neither did the 600 men that accompanied David as well. Well, anyway, verse 21 David arrives back at the brook Bezor, uh, met with cheers. By the way, at the brook Bezor were the 
other 200 were uh, left behind. They weren't a part of tracking down the Amalekites. Well, anyway, those 200, uh, they're met with cheers in verse 21. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Bezor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near, the people, he greeted them. You can only imagine with cheers and great joy. David had recovered their wives, their children, their cattle, all of their uh, possessions. But in the midst of this celebration, a disordinate note was struck. What was that disordinate note? Notice in verse 22. Some of the men who were part of the 400, then all the wicked and worthless men, and yes, there were some wicked and worthless men that were part of David's company, who went with David out to battle against the Amalekites, answered and said, because these 200 did not go with us to engage the Amalekites, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and uh, depart. Well, notice David rebukes the selfish spirit, verses 23 through 25. David said, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. Notice he acknowledges the fact that God had gone before them, that God had given them the victory. Who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us, the Amalekites? For who will heed you in this matter? But at, as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies, and they shall share alike. And so it was, from that day forward, he made it a statue and an ordinance for Israel in this day. So this establishes a custom that endured for several generations going forward. And then in verses 26 through 31, upon arriving back at the city of Ziglag, instead of launching a massive rebuilding project, that is rebuilding the city of Ziglag, we are told in verses 26 through 31 without uh, reading it, because all we have there is a bunch of mention of the various cities that David sent these gifts to that I can't pronounce anyway. <laughs> David, motivated by feelings of gratitude because of God's goodness, granting him the spoils of war, in royal style, he's sort of acting like the king who would... Uh, ascend to his eventual uh, kingdom, in royal style, desired to bestow gifts on those who helped them in the past. Now, someone may, you know, in reading this, may have thought, you know, this is just political wrangling. And this was just a political move on David's part. But such was not the case. As I mentioned before, David didn't even know that Saul and his sons were dead. Well, anyway, these various cities that are mentioned here in these few closing verses of Scripture, they were glad to receive the gifts that had come to them by David. Now, what should we learn from all of this? All right, we've already covered pretty quickly. I did a good job? Two chapters, man, all right? Are you burping Scriptures yet? Okay. Now, what should we learn from all of this? All of what we've already talked about uh, this morning. Well, this is what we should take away from this more than anything else. God's hand is on all the affairs of his servants. 
as I've always said, God is working behind the scenes, orchestrating all of the events of our lives. He's the one pulling the strings, right? He's the one that, you know, he's the one that uh, is involved in each and every one of our, our lives. And whatever is going on in our lives, it is for good. And you can be sure that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So he's ordering all of those things, and God proved himself faithful. Okay, so let's review now. Let me see how good, I'm not going to give you a pop quiz, but let me see you know, how many of you actually came with the correct uh, figure. Let's review the various ways. How many times did God prove himself strong, faithful on David's part? Number one, by causing David and his men to be honorably dismissed from the field of battle so that he didn't have to go up against his own countrymen, number one. How many of you got that one right? Well, I already gave you that one, so that doesn't count. (laughs) Number two, let me see if you got this one right. He overruled the usual Amalekite animosity so that they did not kill any of the captives, the women and the children. Number two, how many of you got that? Only Regina? Okay, okay, very good. Alan? All right. Robin? Okay. Three out of about 40. All right. Okay. (laughs) Number three. How many of you have fell asleep in the middle of my message? Okay. Number three. He protected David when some of his men talked openly about killing him. Remember, they had the intention in their heart to put him to death through stoning. How many of you had that one? Okay. Good. All right. Very good. You didn't fall asleep, although you just came off your shift at the hospital. Very good. Number four. God gave assurance and guidance through the use of the ephod and led someone in David's troop to find the Egyptian who was willing to lead them to the Amalekites' rendezvous point. How many of you had that? That's, number, by the way, number four, if you're keeping count. Fifthly, the Lord enabled David to defeat a well-armed, rested, highly mobile force, the Amalekites, many times larger than his group of 400 tired men. How many of you had that one? Okay, very good. And then lastly, how many of you came up with six? Oh, okay, all right. This is harder than the other ones. It was God who prompted David to send gifts to the inhabitants of the southern land who had been ravaged by Amalekite attacks. And it just you know, served and aided David as he was about to ascend to the throne in Saul's place. And so God was working behind the scenes in the lives of his people. And as I've already suggested, what God did for David, he will also do for you. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house. The book of 1 Samuel details how the nation of Israel transitioned from the era of having judges to a time period where they demanded to have a king rule over them. The pages that then followed include the rise and fall of King Saul, as well as introducing a person in the Bible that becomes one of the greatest men of faith, David. 1 Samuel's book of action and adventure 
but also a reminder of God's swift consequences or judgment when people fall away from Him. So often you might wonder how a passage relates to you today, but there's always something to apply from God's Word, and this book is no exception. Take the life lessons in this book and keep them in mind as you're faced with decisions to make and directions to go. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit harvestnyc.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us. You can join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find out more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Make plans to join us on Thursdays, too. We're meeting virtually to jump back into the Word midweek and worship the Lord. That starts at 7.30 p.m. online at harvestnyc.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for more from 1 Samuel right here on In My Father's House. Oh